my journey in becoming an educational leader is centered around this ability to serve people and give back and to see the benefits of it. Some of the best relationships I've developed uh, were my former students who I had when they were ninth graders and now they're off in the college or graduating from college, struggling through the early stages of adulthood and what that means and looks like and being able to call them and reach out to them and try to mentor them through that. It's just a, a gift that keeps on giving. It's a very rewarding profession. Welcome. My name is Osa Schwab, host of Inside Malden, Ideas and Stories that Inspire. I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Dr. Charles Granson IV. He is the new interim superintendent of the Malden Public Schools. Dr. Granson, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me here. I'm glad to be here. that you speak passionately about education and you have a sense of purpose about it. Mm -hmm. Tell me what the root of that is. What is your journey with education? What, was, what has that been like? When I look back on it, I never set out to be anyone's principal or superintendent. <laughs> um, I think I always had sort of a teacher inside of me. Uh, and so growing up, people would always say, oh, you have an old soul. And I think, you know, I spent a lot of time around adults growing up mm -hmm. and just was fascinated by the conversations people were having and the topics they were talking about or the music they listened to. And I was more interested in that than I was people my own age. So that's been, always been an um, interesting piece. I started out in Washington, D.C. public schools, mm -hmm. raised by a single mother who did the best that she could to mm -hmm. um, provide all that she believed that was important to, you know, raise a productive human being. And had a good extended family who, who was there to support. But what my mother decided to do was to send me to the schools that were on a different side of the city. And so uh, anyone who knows Washington, D.C., Southeast Washington, D.C., uh, in the 80s and 90s, um, not the safest place. Mm -hmm place that was still really dealing with a lot of challenges around the crime mm -hmm. and we, we lived uh, around it. It was around us. I remember hearing gunshots while I'm outside and running to the house. I remember those sorts of things but never really present and in our face, right? And so in Northwest, you know, some, uh, closer to where the Georgetown area is around mm -hmm. the White House, right. um, that's where I did my schooling and these were public schools in Washington, D.C. And so, you know, there was a different kind of education on that side of the city. Yeah. And so my mother was able to provide those opportunities for me and sort of advocate for me to, to have a different educational experience even within the school system. And equity among schools in a school system, that's something that's a challenge, right, everywhere you go. But I was fortunate to be able to have those experiences where I really had teachers who cared, who took the time to make sure I had what I needed. You know, I remember very vividly around second grade, my mother receiving a phone call from a teacher saying, Charles can't read. At that time, again, with limited resources, mm -hmm. Um, she found the time to come down to the school to work with the teacher. They did what they had to do to support me, to help me get to where I am today. And so that there is, I think, a testament to what's happening every day in our public school systems mm -hmm. um, across the country. That the child that's sitting in the classroom that uh, may come to school and may appear to be distracted or looking out the window or very talkative, mm -hmm could be the next president of the United States, could be the next superintendent of your school district. We can't throw them away. Mm -hmm. uh, we must invest in them and continue to spend time to try to get people right on the right track. And, and that comes from, you know, uh, dedicated educators. My journey uh, in being and becoming an educational leader is really centered around this, this ability to really serve people and give back. 
and to see the benefits of it. Some of the best relationships I've developed uh, were my former students who I you know, had when they were ninth graders and now they're you know, off in the college or graduating from college and you know, struggling through the early stages of adulthood and what that means and looks like and being able to call them and reach out to them and, and you know, try to mentor them through that. It's just a, a gift that keeps on giving. It's a very rewarding profession. I don't often hear that high school mm -hmm. uh, teachers actually keep in touch in that same way. So it sounds more like a, a university professor where they mm -hmm. often develop this sort of more personal relationship. Yeah. So and a part of it is social media. That makes it easier yeah. for sure. That's I think right, too. At one point, you know, going back to DC, I can remember going back to the high school to see my teacher, that would be the only way I would probably get in contact oh. with them. As a history teacher, I had a Facebook site for my class. All those students are still a part of that group on Facebook. Wow, <laughs> right? that's so cool. Um, you know, and so it, it's one of those things, you know, it's really changed the landscape. Yes, yeah, yeah. technology is a plus in that mm -hmm. regard. So you had that experience, one experience as a second grader, you couldn't read, and then you saw this teacher really believed in you or really mm -hmm. wanted to help you mm -hmm. and invested that time, extra time, in your mom as well. Absolutely. And um, were there other key figures along that path that either struck you as amazing educators or even from the past, like uh, learning something in history that just sort of struck a chord and, and mm -hmm. inspired you? Absolutely always been very interested in history as, as a child and especially going into high school and college and that's what I ended up majoring in. Mm -hmm. uh, one I would say, you know, my, my mother was always a, a role model, someone I really looked up to, um, someone who I saw as a leader um, within the family, a larger sort of extended family and, you know, was always a very giving person uh, and is a very giving person. And I would say from that there's a whole host of individuals you know, I grew up, again, like I mentioned, um, in Washington, D.C. during the time, and while it's very taboo to even mention his name, Marion Barry was mm -hmm. someone who, locally in the city, you know, people from around the country say, how could those people re-elect that person after they, <laughs> <laughs> after they did that? The message I heard locally from him was that he cared about those who did not have a voice mm -hmm. for themselves um, and couldn't advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so many of his social programs were really aimed at helping the homeless, uh, the youth, and the elderly, interestingly enough. Um, and of course, he contributed to increasing the uh, middle class in Washington, D.C., and many people revered him for that. Um, Eleanor Holmes Norton is currently and was then the, the representative in Congress, delegate uh, in Congress uh, for Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And I, I watch her with her uh, courage and her uh, commitment, dedication, and being willing to be bold and uh, stand up for what she believes in mm. and to continue to do it and be persistent. Right. W.E.B. Du Bois, um, oh, author yes. of Souls of Black Folk and many other Amazing. texts, you know, when I read Souls of Black Folk, uh, not even for a class, I just picked it up uh, in uh, my freshman year at Boston College and uh, just blew my mind. And when, as I learned about his life and living, you know, to be a hundred and, and to the very end being committed to doing the, the important work mm -hmm. that needed to be done, that's the kind of legacy, uh, you know, I, I hope to be able to leave behind. Uh, Maya Angelou, away with words, the power of words can bring an audience to tears and to laughter in one sentence. And um, again, um, the longevity uh, that she had and the impact that will last, you know, for, for years on. So clearly you had a desire to give back in some way, and why education? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's so interesting, you know, oftentimes we think about our lives and it may seem that we just fall into things, right? And so whenever I get asked that question, I thought, well, I 
had such a passion for history, and then I graduated and thought, oh, well, what am I going to do now for work, <laughs> <laughs> right? But interestingly enough, while I was, you know, pursuing, pursuing the history studies, I was also uh, working for an organization called the Bell Foundation, Building Educated Leaders for Life. Oh. Uh, operates out of Boston, founded by two Harvard Law stu uh, School students in the early 90s um, to provide uh, after-school programming for uh, disadvantaged youth uh, in the city of Boston. Now it's a national organization providing programming in, in many school districts. And, uh, you know, I tutored first graders reading and uh, math, English language arts, and I, I quickly learned I can't teach that grade level because I would just play with them all day. So, um, uh, but they were... They were uh, your peers. They, right, exactly, right. I love that. Uh, that's great. Uh, it's, a, it's a great age, and they just have you laughing all, all, all day. But, yeah. but I think that's where I really started to say, okay, this is... This role is needed. I saw they looked up to me. They, and and again, connecting back to my own experience with education, that this is important work that needs to be done. And so, right after graduating from my undergraduate program, I went directly into a master's program, master's of education program called the Donovan uh, Irvin Teaching Scholars Program at Boston College. And um, uh, doing that started me on my way uh, to become a history teacher in Boston Public Schools. Was there an educational philosophy that seemed to grab you, either your own or one that you had read about? Mm -hmm. Good question. Again, I think uh, what comes to mind right away is uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, Paulo Freire, where he talks about the importance of education being relevant to the group that's receiving it, mm. and that it, it, it needing to be something where they can use that to help improve themselves. Mm -hmm. And you know, he was uh, specifically in his context referring to um, indigenous communities, adult learning environments where people were being sort of motivated to become literate mm -hmm. and then to uh, participate in their communities and, and the local political processes in, in, this, in their society. So that's where that sort of, sort of is a overall pedagogy of the oppressed sort of philosophy comes from. But it really applies wow. and it's one of those texts that's used in especially in, in many urban environments um, across the uh, country, where it really talks about this idea of, you know, how does the education they're receiving going to help them gain their own liberation, mm -hmm. right, as, as, a, as a community, as mm -hmm. a society, as a people. And so it's interesting um, that you asked that question because that has really been a part of me. Uh, I remember going to interview for my first uh, teaching job and they asked me a question similar to that and I say, oh, I want people to learn their history so they can be more act politically active in their societies <laughs> and communities. And that wasn't quite the answer they were looking for. They sort of looked at me and said, you know, you sure you want to give that answer? And I said, yes, I'm sure. And, and oftentimes I think people might either feel ashamed of, you know, being, you know, just to say that's what, that's mm -hmm. what at least their original uh, initial orientation would be. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily see people in leadership roles. You know, a superintendent is not viewed as someone who's an activist, right, for example. Mm -hmm. President Obama might have been in that category, but he labels himself as community organizer. That's more of a palatable yes. uh, a way of uh, describing your, you know, I think that's, that's what I've been. If I, um, if I could sort of describe that, that's what my orientation was uh, as I was uh, coming into my own uh, in college. And I think in that moment, that was the impetus for me to go into education. Mm -hmm. When I got there, I realized there was something else that was more important and more urgent um, on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I realized is that I was so excited to teach ninth graders about history. And uh, we, I taught U.S. History 1 and U.S. History 2. Uh -huh. 
And what I realized that many of the students I had in front of me were having trouble even reading the text. Wow. Right. And so anyone who's adaptable and flexible, who really is a, as passionate as they are about mm -hmm. this sort of philosophy that I mentioned, knows that then you need to be, you know, relevant in the moment and think about <laughs> what is most pressing <laughs> for these young people, not being political, politically right. active in their communities um, and, and good citizens. We want to create good citizens mm -hmm. to keep our democracy going and making sure it's growing and thriving. The first way to do that is to make sure that people are literate and people can yeah. read and, and engage in critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And those are the skills that now individuals are calling 21st century skills. You know, what we expect people to be able to know and do and the level of thinking we p expect people to engage in. Those are the things, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to focus on in modern public schools and in mm -hmm. school systems around the country as we try to be, uh, you know, competitive statewide, mm -hmm. nationally and globally. The way you described the pedagogy of the oppressed, mm -hmm. it felt to me like it's almost like more of a community of learning. Yes. As mm -hmm. opposed to let me educate these children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that an accurate sort of Absolutely. That's part of it? Absolutely. You know, when I think about the idea, you know, I think the, the, uh, our mayor, uh, Gary Christensen, mm -hmm. is a great example of this, right? Mm -hmm. Grew up in Malden, went to Malden Public yes. Schools, went to Malden High School and knew, uh, as he's told me, when he was in high school, he wanted to be the mayor of the city, right? Really? That, I didn't know that. That's the ideal model, right? Um, that individuals are inspired and motivated to go on and, and continue to educate themselves right. and better themselves to come back and serve their communities. Mm -hmm. As we become more sort of globalized and as the world sort of shrinks, it doesn't always mean people need to go back to their particular communities, but they mm -hmm. need to go and serve some community. Um, right. and, and you can do that a number of ways. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to go into public service, but even if you're going into the business world or decide to become a, a lawyer or an attorney, how are you giving back and contributing to developing the community mm -hmm. that helps you get to where you are or a community similar mm -hmm. to the one that helps you get to where you are? You had said uh, just a few minutes ago that it's um, not too common that one thinks of a superintendent as an activist, mm -hmm. and yet there's something very inspiring about that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thinking about something that you said in an interview, I think it was with Kelly Crossley, where you said mm -hmm. that education is the new civil rights movement, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that it is also the great equalizer, Absolutely. and Absolutely. that we must address it, otherwise we will um, the the urban youth mm -hmm. will will continue in in poverty and mm -hmm. and sort of the same old same old. So. Absolutely, and I would say activism in the tr tradition of Benjamin Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt and and many of the others. Uh, again, I can't uh, can we can't escape our own history right, right as a society. And so, getting to becoming the democracy in the great country we are those were all actions in, in, in the spirit of activism, right? Yes. And, you know, oftentimes when you look at, you know, where we've come from, at a certain point as a society grows and matures, at some point, you know, certain individuals in society might say, no, well, okay, now it's too much, <laughs> right? No more of that activism now. We yeah. just need to keep things the way they are and, uh, you some know. Some stability exactly. and quiet. Exactly. Um, but what I always say, you know, and I remember in the history classroom as a teacher, I would always say to my students, what if, you know, they were sitting right here with us? What would they be saying, right? 
mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what would they think of this? And uh, I think if more of us thought in, the, in that way, it doesn't mean that we have to live in the past. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, those who are not aware of their history are doomed to repeat it. You know, I think if we, if we know that, um, there's a lot of wisdom that comes with that. And when we talk about society advancing, a lot of times, even when you look at history, there's society, society's growth and advancement has never been linear. It's gone backwards. It's been <laughs> cyclical, actually, right? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the times, you know, the, the current climate, political climate, uh, you would hear the same rhetoric in past years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't evolve in a straight line or in an upward trend, mm -hmm. but you know, we see the same things come back and visit us over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it can provide us wisdom in the moment and really be a source of uh, serenity <laughs> in, in questionable times, troubling times. I am Osa Schwab and this is Inside Malden Ideas and Stories That Inspire. I am speaking with Dr. Charles Grandson IV, the interim superintendent of the Malden Public Schools. Speaking of the spirit of activism, mm -hmm. there's a heart behind it, stimulating something in the student themselves, yes. an active uh, stepping forward, Absolutely. taking in, engaging, that seems to be so important. And mm -hmm. how would you say that one can do that? You know, I think about some of the great teaching and learning I've seen so far here in Malden. And I've went into one classroom, and a teacher has up on the wall and a poster, why are we learning this? That's a um, great question. And that, that, that might <laughs> be a question a, in the minds of students, right? That's a really um, good question. You know, and so I think some of the best teaching and learning we see today in our system and, and around the nation is that which is relevant. So we try our best to make it relevant. What's in the textbook or and even as we're moving away from textbooks and really trying to encourage teachers to go and research and bring together knowledge from different areas and to help students create knowledge uh, in the moment. It really is around, again, just making sure that there is a focus on the student and their individual needs. Yes. There are standards and there are requirements, things that we have to make sure that right. we address. But again, you know, we're talking about human beings and we're talking about people who have been doing this for ages in terms mm -hmm. of educating. Mm -hmm. Uh, one another and so how do we make sure the examples are, are relevant and, and real? How do we engage them? If we do a survey of our students at the beginning of the school year, what are you interested in, right? And we mm -hmm. find ways to weave that in throughout the school year. Mm -hmm. We give students um, roles in the classroom and we allow them to stand up and teach, prepare mm -hmm. them to do that in front of their peers, to be presenters. Um, and to try to make the classroom feel like a community, a microcosm of mm. the community that they're going to live yeah. in and operate in. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of, I think, em empowering sort of educational environment we want to create uh, to make sure it's relevant and remains relevant. There's also something I heard Marva Collins, who mm -hmm. is such a, I had never heard of her until I heard um, about her from a, uh, a man from Israel mm -hmm. who teaches, maybe not anymore, at Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked about her and how she was inspiring across the ocean, mm -hmm. you know, wow. inspiring him to go into education. Absolutely. But one of the things she's known for is she relentlessly believes in the students, no mm -hmm. matter if they have learning disabilities or challenges, or mm -hmm. but she also has high expectations. Absolutely. And they go right hand in hand. Hand in hand. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, 
really respect the, the work of Marvin Collins. I think it's, it's been ingrained in me, again, because of my own personal experience. Right. Uh, if, if I was, you know, thrown into a special education classroom and assumed to have a learning disability, sometimes students may really have those needs, mm -hmm. um, but uh, oftentimes we see that they're, they're, that's not the case, right? You know, we right. see an over, um, over-representation of mm -hmm. um, oftentimes students of, students of color and males uh, for example, in special education, mm -hmm. right? But I think if there weren't individuals uh, who were willing to hold me to high expectations, Charles, I know you can do this. Right. I expect more from you. I expect to see great things from you one day. Mm -hmm. um, those messages being ingrained and making sure that there was the, the support along the way. Uh, I would have had a different life outcome, maybe, right? right? I had someone say to me before, young black male, single mother, growing up in Washington, D.C. in the 80s and 90s, you want for to turn out this way, <laughs> right? And the person, you know, was saying it to, as in a complimentary way to say, okay, right. so there's something within you also that helped you get there. And I think, yeah, but it has to be tapped into and pulled out. The Greek root of the word education actually means to bring out a I would tell my students all the time that, that that's my job, you know, there's something inside of you that's great and I'm here to help bring it out. And I think the more educators we have committed to doing that, the great educators in, in Malden I've seen are very much committed to that, you know, and as I talk to students at the high school, right. my office is in the high school now and I met some <laughs> students at the Community and Unity Forum and I said, oh, come by and visit me and the next day I had 10 students in my office. <laughs> so that was great. You're uh, going to be busy. Yes, yes, yes. And I asked, how do you like your school? And they said, you know, we love it. It is a mm -hmm. great environment and there's lots of activities I can do almost anything and they were excited about the colleges they're looking at applying to and like all communities just while it's not perfect um, there is room for growth you know we're in a good place and in a good place to go from good to great I am convinced that this can become a district that is globally competitive to have such great diversity of students and families uh, that we have here. I see it as a strength. I, I mentioned that during my yes. interview process for this position. And it's something that we can use to prove to those around the nation and around the world that this is what you can accomplish when you have such, such diversity. And it's not something that's a source of weakness, but it is the thing that's going to uh, make us stand out. How can one harness that diversity? Because I noticed there's a huge discrepancy in like mm -hmm. the, the test scores. Obviously, mm -hmm. the, the Asian population, they tend to do really well. Yes. And yes. Uh, others, not so much. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I'm just curious how you see leveraging that diversity in, in the schools. Because I know that there's another issue that some of the students speak of, and that is the lack of diversity among the teaching staff. Mm -hmm. which a lot of cultural studies that have been done around um, you know, groups of students and how they study together and work together. Um, and I think, you know, it is something that when you, when you think about it, it seems very simple. But, um, you know, what are the practices uh, and habits of mine and what's happening at home with students who might be doing well, right? And what might those things be for students who aren't doing as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we're about looking at parent and community engagement and Mm -hmm. trying to work with families to say, you know, these are some things you can do at home. That Those practices are already happening mm -hmm. in Malden Public Schools. Um, but I think continuing to press in that direction is important. Um, Arlene Ackerman, who's another um, uh, mentor, was actually superintendent of D.C. Public Schools while I was there. Oh, really? Uh, and later became superintendent of uh, San Francisco Public Schools and Philadelphia Public Schools. Uh, wow. Says that victory is in the classroom. Yes. Um, and so the work of a superintendent in, in 2016 
is around making sure that there is a focus on what we call the instructional core, mm -hmm. the interaction between the teacher, the student, and the uh, content. Okay. Um, uh, and so what we do is we go in and we, we focus on um, how we can make sure we spend our time and resources supporting the instructional core. Mm -hmm. As we look and we find great practices here and there, how do we get teachers to share more? And then how do we get a, ourselves as a community to focus on this is a skill I'm seeing on this assignment that Johnny can improve on. Maybe over the next two weeks, as I'm still teaching my year-long plan uh, and consistent with the curriculum we have, but I can focus on this skill and achieve this skill mm -hmm. and improve this skill for, for him or for this group of students. And let's see what happens over the next two weeks and then come back and assess it on the assignment. And that's about uh, a cycle of continuous improvement. We want to be, I don't remember where I was, but I was just saying this exact same thing, um, I think, to a group of teachers yesterday. We believe in getting better as human beings, right, mm -hmm. and, and constantly improving ourselves, right, and mm -hmm. we want to have that sort of same philosophy when it comes to the work that we do daily with, with students, mm -hmm. and we want students to, to buy into that mentality and so to know what their, what their grades are on the, on the Dibbles right. assessment or, uh, or the classroom teacher's assignment, right, and to think about how I'm going to set a goal to get to do better next time. Mm -hmm. And so when, a lot of times when we think about the classroom, we think about it as a place where there's math, uh, going on and there's English language arts history science going on but what also happens there is we form habits yes. that follow us throughout yes. adulthood <laughs> right oh, yes. um, and even you know those of us that being a new father I'm watching uh, my son and saying what mm -hmm. habits are you picking up what patterns am I seeing right at eight already months. At eight months <laughs> I'm watching them right <laughs> um, does he read yet no. right I wish right <laughs> Um, there's something else happening in those classrooms. How do we build in uh, resiliency into uh, students' sort of makeup, um, which will help them no matter what content area, mm -hmm. whatever class they're in, mm -hmm. no matter what environment they find themselves in later mm -hmm. on in life, and overall will help them do well in life. And so building that as a part of what we do uh, on a daily basis. There is a discrepancy. What I have noticed in going back and looking at past data is that at one point there were racial achievement gaps between the races. For the most part, they are all on par, which is something you don't see uh, when you look at uh, white students, Latino students, uh, black and African American. You know, you might see discrepancies there, but the performance of those three groups are pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And as you said, our Asian students are doing a lot better. So again, what can we learn from them, right. and how can we get those students to work together? But also, we should pat ourselves on the back for the fact that the other students are at least in the same area. And that's right. not the case in many urban districts. You see right. a large discrepancy between white students uh, and African American students, for example, and that's Latino actually students. That's true, right. right? Yeah. So it's interesting as we continue to, to analyze the data. Uh, just this uh, past Monday, the Department of Education released our sort of accountability data across the state for all school districts, and we're in the process of really just studying that right now to see, okay, what's the, what's the lever we need to press to really go to the next level. One of the things that 
was on my mind as I prepared to talk to you, and it's sort of my own beef with our school system, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. and that is that it feels kind of institutionalized. Mm. Can it be creative, you know, as a system? Like, certainly teachers can be creative mm -hmm. and superintendents can be creative, mm -hmm. but can the system itself flex, become more pliable, mm -hmm. and um, in terms of how students are assessed, for example, mm -hmm. um, the curriculum and the inclusion of many disciplines across, which I know does happen, mm -hmm. but also financing. Because I know that in Malden in particular and other cities, of course, we've run up against budgetary deficits. Mm -hmm. And so we had to cut. And so then I'm thinking, well, what about Kickstarter? And what about all these creative yeah, yeah, funding yeah. options? There's a book called The Artist's Way. So I'm all about that. About 10 years ago, the study that was done, Tough Choices for Tough Times, mm -hmm. they really looked and said, you know, looking at all the jobs that are out there now and the type of education that we provide now in our public schools, they call for a radical shift. And these are yes. CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, oh. uh, heads of universities who came together oh. and said that over the next 20 years, the jobs are all going to be in design. A lot of work is now being done by machines. And so in order to advance yourself, you're going to have to be creative. If we're going to try to get students to be able to be prepared to meet that challenge, we have to model that and provide an environment that is creative and exciting and, and new yes. and thinks about things differently. Classroom, for example, one area that's important to be innovative. When I think about the system it, itself, we are a system that is a part of a larger system. Right down the street here, we have the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary mm -hmm. Education, and you know we're part of a state, and we have mm -hmm. some rules and regulations in that regard. But it doesn't mean that we can't be creative in, in our approaches mm -hmm. to things that have been uh, long-standing and persistent challenges. Yes. And so I definitely bring that to the table. I'm sure it drives my team crazy because uh, they go here. I love it. Here he comes with these. <laughs> here he comes with these ideas. <laughs> no, we can't do that. Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> what stops us? What's the worst thing will happen if we do? That is generally my approach to leadership because what you find is that a, a lot of times, not that this is the case in Malden, but organizations can reach a standstill. You might see a standstill in, for example, student data growth, mm -hmm. right? student achievement. And oftentimes that's a symptom of the larger issue, yeah. which is that there's a sort of stagnant nature in terms of the organizational structure right. uh, or mm -hmm. the leadership styles and approaches. You've got to change it throughout. Mm -hmm. You can't just move one and not expect the other to be influenced or to need to be influenced. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded as you were talking, especially about the having a belief in drawing out what is in the, the student yes. and also mm -hmm. what's in the system, what's in what's in the teachers and mm -hmm. the community of learners. It's very much like an artist, actually. Yes. Michelangelo, that's how yeah, he viewed his marble, that there oh, was okay. something... A, a figure struggling to come out, wow. and his role was to release it from bondage. I love it. Yes. Isn't that a cool Absolutely. metaphor? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking maybe you are that sculptor for mm. Malden. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to draw out our potential in the learning community. So I'm very grateful you're here and Thank you had you. this conversation with me, and I uh, look forward to engaging with you and, and helping the community engage with you in whatever way I can. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to be here in Malden. I hope to be able to uh, be here for many years. That is my goal and desire. This is a great community, students, the parents, great leadership uh, in the community. Um, and as we talked about with that, that community and unity forum, there's a great spirit that runs throughout the community. And so I'm so excited about being here. Thank you.
you so much for listening. I am Osa Schwab, host of Inside Malden, ideas and stories that inspire. I have been speaking with Dr. Charles Grandson IV, the Interim Superintendent of Malden Public Schools. Information about this and other episodes can be accessed at InsideMalden.com. Inside Malden is made possible thanks to the work of a generous production team consisting of Anne Durso Rose as director, Elizabeth Scorsello working sound and set design, Elena Martinez, Christine De Rosa, Ana Pacheco, and Bonnie Blanchard on camera. Available as video, podcast, and blog, this program is a neighborhood view offering that is supported in part by a grant from the Malden Cultural Council, which is supported by the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency. Special thanks to MATV, Malden's Media Center, for use of studio and equipment. Music heard on this episode is Magic Jar, composed and performed by the Kevin Harris Project. This piece is available on the Butterfly Chronicles album. Visit kevinharrisproject.com for details. The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org.